Welcome to the Soul City Church podcast, a podcast for the glory of Jesus and the edification of the church. Hey, this is Alex Cayley, lead pastor of Soul City Church here in Gainesville. Today we're going to talk to Tyler Smiley, an associate pastor at Lakewood Baptist Church, and he's going to lead us in conversations around eldership, what is uh, leadership in the local church biblically, and what does it look like to cultivate partnership among churches through avenues like networks. So, hope you enjoy. Well, today, guys, I'm so excited uh, for this episode, um, namely because I've got one of my dear friends, mentors, fathers, brothers, just everything in between. He's been such a major influence in my life uh, with me by the name of Tyler Smiley. Hey, Alex. Thanks so. for having me. I'm glad to be here, and I will try to live up to that high praise, but <laughs> most likely will not. Listen, I'm just... Uh, you know, as I was thinking about this podcast and about what I hope our people see, I, I wanted to encourage uh, or really just kind of set an introduction for um, our time together today out of Acts chapter 20. There's this beautiful picture in Acts 20 of Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders that I know you're familiar with, mm-hmm. Tyler. And there, Paul uh, is really weeping with sincerity and the Ephesian elders are weeping with sincerity knowing that here Paul and the elders are about to be separated forever until they reunite uh, in in eternity so I guess not forever but yeah uh, at least till eternity and you know I I love it right here he says elsewhere uh, no he says right here that uh, for three years he did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears and I was just thinking about this passage mm. and primarily the affections yeah. that were there. And I just want to say to you uh, that I feel like as we have contemplated and sought after Christ together, that I've over time developed those type of mm. brotherly affections, yeah. you know, yeah. that, that we have in our relationship, man. Yeah. So Amen. just love you. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited that uh, here we are in Gainesville able to do ministry to the glory of Jesus. Amen. And it's a yeah. great, great opportunity. So today I hope that it can just be a great opportunity for you to encourage our people as one of our external elders and um, also to uh, spur us all to uh, understand uh, healthiness in the church, mission of the church, and all the above. So we're so excited that you're with us today, man. Thank you. So, well, hey, as we get started... Won't you give us a little bit of an introduction? I know there's a lot of people in our church that would be familiar with Tyler Smiley, and uh, specifically Lakewood Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. But uh, start with just give us an introduction, man. Your family, how how the Lord saved you, um, and end with like your call to ministry and uh, your role here at Lakewood. So, so I'm married to Katie. We started dating in high school, and. Uh, for folks around here, that's very normal. When I lived in Denver, that was very not normal. Really? Yeah, they didn't. They made fun of us for that. You know, lots of talk of arranged marriages and uh, this no way. Sort of, oh yeah, but you know, we uh, we got to date in high school, and <clears throat> I just convinced her when we were young that uh, I was someone important, and <laughs> tricked her into marrying me later. 
We have currently three boys, and they're all under the age of six right now. And what are uh, their names? Andrew, Matthew, and Peter. Hmm. We're very unoriginal when it comes to names. <laughs> Just stick with the words we find in the Bible. That's it, man. That's Just all we know it. what to do. So I was contemplating the other day how I named one of my uh, children Elias. Yeah. And we're going through the book of Nehemiah, and I saw Eliashib in the book of Nehemiah. I'm like, there you I go. missed the opportunity. You really could have. I should have. Yeah. We could have called him Elias, but then on the birth certificate, yeah. on all the legal things, yeah. the most epic name in the Bible, Eliashib. But. Well, I had as, as on our list of names Bartholomew, because I thought it was a great name. Oh, yeah. I thought Strong. you'd call him Bart. Of course, it would be spelled B-A-R-T-H, but, you know, for theologians who like to read, it been Bart. Great is, you know, a name that you recognize. Yeah, Carl Bart. And it's biblical, and uh, my wife immediately vetoed that. <laughs> and she's probably wise to do that. But I just thought you would have Andrew and Matthew yeah. and Bartholomew. You have this sort of uh, similar endings yeah, on all good. these names. Been good. Would have worked for me. Uh, so, but she wisely vetoed that. That was a good decision on yeah, her part. Yeah, probably a good decision. That's why we get married. Is That's why there are better hats. Men do not make the best decisions all the time. That's right. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, married, three kids. I've been at Lakewood for my entire life, except for about four years when I was uh, doing my master's work in Denver. And I've been back now at Lakewood in the role of associate pastor for six years. <clears throat> um, when I, you know, growing up really at this church, there was really never a time I didn't know the gospel or didn't hear the gospel. It was always... Uh, clear to me and I believed from a young age and was baptized as a young age and given a great foundation that I'm very grateful for. It's it's funny and uh, a blessing and odd all at the same time to now be pastoring and serving a group of people that really raised me and taught me how to read the Bible. That so now when I preach I feel like I'm preaching to, pe- to people who taught me how to preach. I'm, I'm teaching people who taught me how to read and understand Scripture. So that's been a great blessing. Uh, and, and these are the same people at this church that I grew up who helped me discern my call to ministry and allowed me to cut my teeth in ministry from an early age to serve in various capacities uh, through student ministry and gave me opportunities to teach and preach uh, probably when I was too young. But they gave me great opportunities, and they uh, loved me and encouraged me through that and guided me and corrected me along the way. And by God's grace, I really sensed a a clear call to ministry by the time I was in college Hmm. and started to prepare myself for seminary and what what it would take to be a pastor for a lifetime. uh, That was really my vision for preparation. So North Georgia, right, with your undergrad? Went to university in North Georgia. Of course, back then it was North Georgia College and State University, yep. which really just doesn't roll off the tongue. <laughs> and I'm glad they changed it. Yeah. And we also used to be the St. Bernards, and now they are something to do with uh, hawks or other bird species. The St. Bernards. I did not yeah. know that. Yeah, right. It was the Saints, and we had a big St. Bernard okay. as our uh, yeah. mascot. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You really missed the, the boat on that it's a good one. little... Good little nugget. You can play baseball. Well, and speaking of nuggets, that's what they are in Dahlonega. Uh, yeah, nuggets. Yeah. yeah nuggets. So I lived there. Was a, an honorary Dahlonega nugget. Okay. <laughs> for four years while living in that city. That's awesome. Yeah. 
So then you went to Denver right. Seminary. Is that where you uh, – did you get engaged in Denver? No, no. We were married before we left. Okay. We got married in Gainesville. We're here for about a year. Okay. While we, 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 were, we were really just crazy. Mm-hmm. We got married when we were still in college. So uh, we finished up college. Katie worked for a year, and then I worked as many part-time jobs as I could, barely made ends meet, mm-hmm. and uh, scraped up enough money to uh, drive ourselves out to Denver when, when it was time to start <laughs> seminary. That's Drove awesome. a, uh, a U-Haul truck and pulled our car behind it and only broke down twice in Kansas. So I consider that a success. I've heard Kansas is a very long state. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure for all of your viewers who are in Kansas, it's a lovely state. It's a, <laughs> you're right. I forgot about that particular crowd that we're right. reaching in, in volumes and masses. I know there's a lot of folks from Kansas listening yeah. in. I want to say I'm sure it's a lovely state. Yeah. Uh, but to stay on I-70 and just go west oh, is really miserable. Yeah. Just glad I made it to the yeah. Rocky Mountains. <laughs> so I'll spare the Dumb and Dumber quote. <laughs> Thank you. I got a lot of those on yeah. my way out there. Oh, yeah, I imagine. Yeah. So cool. So then you, um, just a standard MDiv? I did an MDiv and uh, was really fortunate enough to have a scholarship, which is really what led me to Denver. Okay. And so it was a great opportunity. Uh, made a lot of relationships that shown themselves to be formative. Mm-hmm for my life and uh, the Lord really was gracious to us in that mm-hmm. time and yeah so did the MDiv and was really constrained to do it in the amount of time that I did it was a pretty long MDiv by today's standards but because of the scholarship um, you know it, it was um, really the timeline was tightened mm-hmm. so finished that up and then as soon as we finished uh, my wife and I were expecting our first child and oh, wow. she was eight months pregnant so we put her on an airplane and and flew back to uh, Atlanta got her back to Gainesville and then I drove back east through Kansas and drove our vehicle back yeah lots of coffee and uh, made made our way back cool here in Gainesville so then you graduated you got back to Gainesville having a kid um, such an interesting period of life yeah what at that point in your life were you really um, discerning, um, maybe through the Holy Spirit, that God was calling you into? When it, when it, when you think about your dying, uh, your dying breath, yeah. what is it that you want to be said about Tyler Smiley? Well, I knew I was called to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. That was had become abundantly clear to me, and and I still sense that pretty much every day when I wake up. Doesn't mean it's easy call to discern, but that's yeah. what I know the Lord has called me to do. Uh, be a pastor in a local church mm-hmm. and uh, serve God's people in that way. So that's what I'm, you know, really giving my life to. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so in addition to that, be a, a husband that honors the Lord, raise my children in a way that they love the Lord and and honor Jesus, know the Scripture, and send them out into the world. Uh, and make make a lot of about Jesus Praise and God. a little bit about myself. That's it, man. Yeah. That's it. That's really my goal. So then you got back here to, to Lakewood, and then you, at some point, felt this urge to continue study. 
yeah. in PhD. Like, tell me, like, what led you there? Why you feel like PhD would be helpful for you? And and uh, we'll get into a little bit about that. So uh, after the MDiv, uh, it really developed more of a desire in me to keep reading, thinking, studying. What studies like that really do more than anything is it, it number one, it teaches you how to read and how to think carefully, which as a pastor is uh, unbelievably important to, mm. to be able to read and think really clearly mm-hmm. uh, because God has made himself known primarily in Christ Jesus, but continues to make himself known through his, his word, his written mm-hmm. word. And so we have to be able to read that well and understand how, know how to read. So, uh, you know, I really wanted to continue to learn and grow. I think PhD programs like the one I'm in are great to, you know, show you how to continue to grow and serve a church in in a helpful way. So my interests were church history and theology, and uh, I found a school that is Midwestern Seminary that you also yeah you went, went to, to. Right? yep. So found Midwestern. They've got a, a great library that's dedicated to the personal library of Charles Haddon Spurgeon and they had a historical theology program that was uh, getting up and going and was a modular format so I didn't actually have to move to Kansas City I could do it while living in Gainesville which is so great seeing where like theological education is headed how you're not transplanting people out of the local church but they can stay there and still grow and be discipled yes good yeah that type of education is is great it's also comes with its innate risks mm-hmm. that you can isolate yourself, which is really dangerous to do, yeah. especially in, in theology. But uh, it's a great opportunity to get uh, really high-level education without having to leave your, your home mm-hmm. or your church. That's good. Yeah, so I uh, really felt like that was what the Lord had next for my wife and I and uh, started that in... I guess it was 2014, and it was it's a five-year pro- program, so maybe the end of 2014 or 2015. I uh, started that program, five-year program, and I'm now writing my dissertation. Hmm. So what are you writing it on? Writing on Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Really, I just want to see how many times I can say that name. <laughs> yeah. And if you've never heard that name, you should yeah. Google it. Yeah. And I chose to write on him. He's a pastor, 19th century London. Chose to write on him uh, for several reasons, some which are good and some which are just very practical. Number one, he's English speaking, and I really didn't want to research in another language. Yeah. There's a very practical way it's of a, choosing that's a, good wisdom. a topic. Yeah. And then uh, uh, he's just fascinating. He's a fascinating pastor, um, a person, and there's so much that. Uh, survives of his material that he produced through his sermons especially 65 volumes of sermons that are published and then uh, there's a current series of eight volumes of the early sermons that he never was able to publish that are now being have been rediscovered and are being uh, produced so So there's a lot of material one of my favorite uh, stories myths legends you know how do you you never know kind of how some of these old right. stories that are supernatural in nature yeah. are like what truth is there but this one specifically it seems to be like it, it is a, a good story and a, and a good uh, move of the spirit was uh, early on in his life a man standing over him and prophesying mm-hmm. that he would be 
the Prince of Preachers, which we know he became. Yeah. Right. Um, so I always always love hearing that. It stirs my affections hearing mm-hmm. hearing that. Um, seeing how God can use, you know, simple ordinary men and women uh, for His glory, and that's actually His purpose and what He wants to do. Yeah, that's right. You know, so as we think about this, man, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, I thought it would be awesome just to ask you, uh, as you've studied him, who is such a gifted man, mm-hmm. um, a very effective man in ministry. So he, what what he did accomplished a lot, and, and it was he bore fruit in ministry. That's right. What do you look at his life and his ministry and see? What does he have to offer our generation or modern day? Yeah. Well, I think one that you just highlighted is a great one to start with. <clears throat> that. Uh, He's actually a quite ordinary person from ordinary background mm-hmm. and ordinary means. He actually really, for our, uh, all of our listeners in our hometown, will appreciate that he was really just kind of a country boy. Wow. Uh, very uh, plain. They actually made fun of him when he first started preaching in London, uh, in the city, that this country boy had come to the city. And uh, they made fun of his dress, and he had a little handkerchief in his, in his uh, coat pocket one of the first days that he preached that was white with blue polka dots mm. and uh and, and his uh church that he was preaching to got such a kick out of it and actually was also a little embarrassed about it yeah. that they bought him uh plenty of white plain handkerchiefs to wow. keep so that he could get rid of the uh blue polka dots that's so awesome and get, get rid of those but you mentioned one a minute ago with Spurgeon that when he was a boy uh and living with his, his grandparents visiting with them a traveling Evangelist came through the town and really said that uh, he believed Charles would preach in uh, on a grand scale to a lot of people, and that certainly came true. He was converted at the age of fifteen. This is another thing I think we learned from from Spurgeon from his life that at the age of fifteen he was converted, and it happened in the midst of a terrible snowstorm, and he found himself not able to go to his uh, his father's church so because of the snow was so bad. So he wound up in a primitive Methodist chapel because it was the only place he could get to that Sunday morning. And the pastor of that church was unable to make it because of the snow. It was, it was that bad. There were maybe 12 people in the room. And the person who stood up and to preach was not the normal pastor. And Spurgeon just really reflected on uh, him that he really had very little to say, but he preached from Isaiah 45 and pointed directly to Charles Spurgeon in the sermon and said, young man, you look miserable. You need to look to Christ and, and find your life in him. And from that moment, his, Spurgeon's life was forever changed. And he believed in Christ with all of his heart and gave his life to him and, and really dedicated the rest of his life to making much of Jesus Christ. So I think you can hear from Spurgeon, and one of the great lessons from him is that God uses uh, really ordinary people to accomplish great things. That uh, it doesn't take someone who's got reputation and background to do a lot, but whatever uh, the Lord has given you, whatever platform you find yourself on, pursue that. That is awesome. His, the calling and grace of God. Amen. You know, yeah. to use... His word, primarily, I, I love, you know, most amazing stories of conversion. They just make much of Christ in His word. Mm-hmm. They do. Mm-hmm. I mean, someone who's not skilled in the word, who doesn't have much to say, but the word of God. 
yeah. has so much to say to us and, and effectively calls us and saves us. That's amazing. Yeah, it gives you a little bit of hope there yeah. that you don't have to be profound <laughs> to uh, this man. We don't even know this man's name mm-hmm. uh, who preached that morning, you know, but, uh, but we know that, that he had an indelible impact on Charles Spurgeon and Spurgeon's influence uh, in the world since that moment has really been on a scale that uh, this, whoever this man was could have never imagined that his uh, ministry would sort of in a secondary way have such a large impact. So I say uh, you don't have to have a lot. You don't have to uh, be a lot. You don't have to come from prestige. You don't have to know a lot. You just have to be faithful mm. to do what God has called you to do, and I think he'll, uh, he'll honor that. That's good. So one thing I'm really excited about being here in Gainesville, being in partnership with Lakewood, is just the relationship we've been able to cultivate, and specifically through you serving uh, for Solo City as an external elder. Um, I know a lot of people on the podcast probably have never heard that term. Uh, Elder really is even foreign to most people's understanding of church polity and government Mm -hmm. and structure. Um, but that's what that's the capacity you're serving in as as our church and essentially what that means just to kind of give our listeners somewhat of a definition of external eldership is just that uh he is an elder that's not internal to our church that is directly overseeing all that we do but for the sake of accountability and clarity with decision making and being above reproach um i have invited uh, a few men into my life who i love who uh, love Christ, who desire to see a healthy, vibrant local church, and given them authority in my life to speak hard truths when they need to be spoken to and help me make decisions uh, in our church for the benefit of the church, the the kingdom of God, the, the glory of Christ. And Tyler's one of those, and I'm really excited about that. And uh, from the very beginning, I'm, I'm excited about church planting, specifically Solo City, because it's allowed us to really look at the Bible and catch a grand vision for what God's church is to be and then build our church structure off of that. And one thing that you see absent in a lot of churches in our area is good, strong, godly uh, male leadership. Um, and in, in a way that God intends it to be, um, according to the Bible. And our conviction here as a church is that God is intended for qualified men to lead his church. And that's why we desire not only to have an external eldership, but as we grow uh, and more men are are raised up and qualified to to be in the office, to be ordained as elders Mm -hmm. internally. And um, so we have just a strong vision and desire that God's church will be led in that way. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that today and ask you just some pointed questions about um, leadership in the church and specifically how we should think about elders. Uh, I'd like it if you quickly could offer us two things, like what is an elder of the church biblically and why do churches need elders? I think to be really concise, the first thing you say is what is an elder? You can see a couple different places in the New Testament where elders are described and the qualifications for elders are given, like in uh, like in Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3. These are 
kind of two classic examples. I really like the end of First Peter, First Peter five, when you mm. get this snapshot vision of what it means to be an elder, and Peter basically says, "Shepherd the flock that God has given you. Take care of the people that God has placed you uh, responsible for." And I think that's really the vision of eldership that any really, I mean, just for today. Leadership in general has this tainted image of authoritarian, uh, I'm the one in charge, you have to do what I say. And that's just really a sad and poor vision of leadership. Leadership really uh, is intended to help people thrive. That's what it's meant to do. And biblical eldership is not intended to only tell people what they can't do or to make people listen to what you think is right or wrong, but it's to to care for God's people, to care for the church, uh, to protect the church, uh, to honor Christ in how you lead, what you say. And so that, but that vision of the, the role of a shepherd, which is really, I mean, shepherd, pastor, elder, all of these are really... Uh, these ideas are all working together to describe who leads God's church, but they also show how it's done. So First Peter 5, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Don't do it for shameful gain, but do it eagerly. Don't uh, domineer over those who are in your charge, but set examples to the flock. And that gives you, I think, a vision of what it ought to be like. Uh, you, when you go back and look at First Timothy or in, or in uh, Titus, you see that part of the shepherding includes careful understanding of God's word. How, how do we know who Christ is according to His word? How do we know God? It means uh, looking out for the well-being of the people. I think you care for them spiritually. You care for their physical needs. You you really care for the whole person, and that's what what an elder does. But also, as an elder, you're recognizing, like Peter said in in 1 Peter 5, that the chief shepherd will one day appear, Jesus Christ, who is our true shepherd. He will come, and and it's that uh, reminder that holds the elders of today's churches in check, that we're not the ultimate authority. We're there to, as as under-shepherds, to care for God's people. This is Jesus' church, and we're called to care for them. So good. Man, I love this verse, verse 3 there in 1 Peter 5, not domineering over those in your charge. You know, the world speaks this message to us that male leadership is this strong, uh, you know, uh, aggressive, Mm -hmm. over-the-top mentality that Mm -hmm. essentially usurps its authority uh, to get their way. But God gives us a new new path of not domineering, but humble servanthood. And it's beautiful. It, It... portrays the person and work of Christ. And um, man, I just love, I love that definition. It's so funny to to think about how much humility is is a part of the eldership calling. I mean, you see the word humility used at least two times here. That's right. Just just glancing over this particular passage. And you, it's sad to say that this has been an issue uh, from throughout the history of mankind. Since the fall, Genesis 3, from the very beginning, uh, this has become an issue for how what leadership looks like. And that uh, 
people who are given responsibility or any leadership have, uh, because of sin and our own pride and arrogance, wanted to make much of ourselves and abuse uh, authority. And so, but you see this play out, and today is really not any different, mm-hmm. which is sad, but it's true that uh, uh, leadership has taken such a negative connotation with it in a lot of ways because of the abuses, the real abuses that are hurtful and, and mean and nasty, but they have been real, legitimate abuses of authority, which means that not the leadership itself is the problem, but the arrogancy that can come along with that is a problem, which I think is why Paul is careful to say in Timothy that whoever uh, aspires to be an overseer aspires a noble task. This is a good good and honorable thing. But you have to understand that it comes with... uh, it comes with a, a high calling to be very careful mm. in, in how you uh, steward those responsibilities. Yeah, and as we think about eldership, I know that even people in our church, they struggle with male leadership in the church, exclusive male leadership right. when it comes to eldership. And rightfully so, mm. because they've got a past and a history of abuse. They've experienced men in their life who have uh, taken advantage of that authority that they have. And I think probably the word to them and anyone else that's listening here is that our experience of man's fallenness does not negate God's design. Mm. And though we've experienced male leadership in a bad way, Mm. it doesn't change the fact that God has a beautiful design awaiting Mm. us. Mm. If we would take hold of the gospel by faith, cling to that, experience the healing he wants to offer us, yeah. And um, and build our life upon His yeah. reality, not yeah. ours. Yeah. So That's so good. good. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that we see in the Bible, and you know, I reference Acts twenty, yep. because Paul's speaking to this group of elders, plural, over the church of Ephesus. Right. And one thing I've seen throughout the uh, the narrative, specifically in the New Testament, but also you get uh, shadows of it in the old where maybe like Ephesians 4 shows us this plurality of leadership mm-hmm. that, that exists. Um, you look, uh, like I said, Acts chapter 20, and you see how God has ordained that there be more than one elder in the church of Ephesus. You see uh, Acts chapter 1, where the apostles are appointed, and there's not one apostle, but there's a plurality, as if there is somewhat uh, of a team effort happening you know, in God's church. And as we think about these things and other examples in the New Testament of what we think is healthy leadership, one conviction we've kind of settled on, and I know that you would probably feel the same, is that it is good that there be a plurality of elders in the local church. That God's church would not be led by one man, but it would be led by many men who are qualified, love Christ, and love his church. And one thing that does for us is it just protects us from you know so much uh, that could be bad. Uh, that could be selfish mm. in nature. Um, so not to steal your thunder there, but mm-hmm. could you answer the question, just why is a plurality of eldership healthy, and how does that lead our church mm. churches into health? Mm-hmm. I think one of the key things you said is the accountability that comes with it. That's a, that's a very practical, very real value add to having a plurality of uh, men who know and love the Lord and who are qualified to serve in these capacities. I think as often as it's possible, this is good. You you probably want to take into consideration that uh, there are lots of churches 
that maybe uh, just think around the world, not just in our own neck yeah. of the woods here, but yeah. around the world, globally, there are plenty of churches that may not have these types of men uh, in, in great number to call pastor. And there may be places where there's only one, one qualified person who can step in and serve as pastor. And so you certainly don't want to say that, uh, you know, that's inadequate or that there is no church there. Mm. But I think what you want to highlight, which is I think what you've done, is the value and the grace of God that comes when you have a plurality of men who can serve in these roles. Yes. That this is God's gift. It's a grace of him to a local church that a single local church may have several men who can serve in these capacities and help. And so, but however uh, you're able to really see a church formed or structured, there has to be accountability and leadership. It's just clear. Uh, if you don't have it, there's going to be pitfalls that come with it, and it's going to happen eventually if you don't have proper accountability in place. Uh, but I think you also see that the Lord will uh, sharpen all of the church with multiple insights, multiple voices that the Holy Spirit seems to use others to sharpen us. So as a pastor, you think that with uh, other good voices, they're good men who are leaders, they can sharpen you and your leadership, your understanding of Scripture. Uh, practically, I think that you need to understand the job of a pastor to care for people. It's hard. And it takes a lot of time. Yes. And it takes time to care for people, to do that well, like to legitimately know and care for the church. And because it takes so much time and because it's hard, you're going to need uh, a team effort to do that, to do that well. Um, being a pastor doesn't just mean you get to stand up on Sundays and everyone has to listen to you for half an hour or however long that you may preach, Alex, which may sometimes go over half an hour accidentally. I shoot for 30. Okay. I, I preach for 45. There you go. So now <laughs> they know Sunday. what to expect. Yeah. Uh, but it takes time, and it's hard work to be a pastor. Mm -hmm. And so if you can have multiple men who are doing this, then you can care for your church in a better way. And then I would just say that wisdom, wisdom that comes with multiple voices and lives and experience, uh, wisdom is hard to come by. It, it just is. Hmm. The older I get... I'm not very old. The older I get, the more that I understand that wisdom is a gift of God. And life experience really does give you the opportunity to gain wisdom. doesn't wow. mean you'll necessarily have more wisdom. But the more life experience you have, the more wisdom that I think uh, the Lord gives the potential to uh, for a person to have. And so uh, as a pastor, as any leader... Knowing how to guide people, care for them, knowing how to teach God's Word, knowing uh, what enemies to fend off. All of this requires careful wisdom. There's not, a, there's not one book that you can read and all of a sudden you're wise in, in the ways of a pastor. I think it just takes time. You know, one of my favorite verses in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs filled of, with all of these little nuggets, yeah. you know, that you can get in your heart and lodge in there for fighter verses and stuff like that. One of my favorite verses speaks to this reality. Uh, it's Proverbs eleven fourteen, and it says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Yeah. Yeah. I find it so interesting he used the word safety there. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, that um, we can be confident, we can be sure that as 
we, we see multiple men in front of the church leading that uh, we're, we're in a safe place. Mm. You know, we're, we're, we're in a safe place. That's right. So, so good. Yeah, I think uh, you just want to recognize that there are biblical and theological groundings for why you need, uh, why you need pastors leading you. Uh, first and foremost, because God says so in the Bible. So it's yeah. a pretty good starting point. But then you also just see the practical reasons mm. for why this is a good thing and God honoring to have this. Yeah, it's good. One element of partnership that we have with you, Tyler, and more uh, generally with Lakewood, is we are a part of... Uh, your church on many levels. Number one, Lakewood sent us out. Mm. Man, I'll never forget the Sunday we stood before uh, the congregation here at Lakewood in the Real Life Sanctuary, and uh, your dad, Tom, yep. looked at us and with love, care, and fervent passion, sent us out. Mm-hmm. And how that was so important for me, let mm-hmm. me just say that, and my wife mm-hmm. and for those that were there. Mm-hmm. It was such a great moment for us mm-hmm. that I think is very similar to... Uh, you know, Paul encouraging Timothy to, to remember the laying on of hands in a sense, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, mm-hmm. that's, uh, we feel the same about that moment. Like, Hey, we remember this is a good thing. Mm-hmm. We've been affirmed by mm-hmm. God's church mm-hmm. to go and plant churches. But even past, uh, Lakewood being our sending church, Lakewood has an initiative that they started just recently, the last couple of years, uh, called the core three, six church planning network. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really probably I would say, Following the church growth movement, eighties, mm. nineties, uh, early two thousands, we saw this uh, massive explosion of church planting, probably uh, cultivated through Acts twenty nine. But then we also had Ark, you know, association of related churches mm-hmm. that have done a lot of things and different uh, individuals like that, individual churches, and then network of churches. And now we seem to be in this stage to where uh, there's a lot of biblical good wisdom to be a part of a network of churches. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit. I know many of our listeners probably would not fully understand, okay, so what? We're a part of a group of churches. What does that even mean? Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about that uh, today and specifically what is Core36 Network? Mm -hmm. Why should we be a part of a network? And what does that look like in in the means of interdependency and partnership with other churches uh, in the Bible and and all of those things above. Well, Core 3.6 Network is really the ministry that we launched at Lakewood to assist and uh, encourage church planting. And it comes from 1 Corinthians 3.6 and, as it turns out, 2 Corinthians 3.6. I mean, we really grabbed on to these two passages. 1 Corinthians, I would say it like this. And this is how I try to explain it, that 1 Corinthians 3.6 really gives a vision of what we're trying to accomplish in planting churches, where Paul says, I, Paul, planted Apollos water, but God gives the growth. Wow. We really believe that's what church planting looks like. Uh, planting, watering, and praying that God would give gospel growth to these. And then 2 Corinthians 3.6, I think, really shows what we hope will be the heart of the pastor who is sent out to do this work when uh, Paul says that it is God who has made us competent or sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So we want to say 1 Corinthians 3, 6, 
I planted, Paulus watered, God gives the growth. That's what it looks like to plant a church. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 is what it takes for someone to do this, that it will require God to give competency to these men to start churches where they don't currently exist. That's the vision of what we hope to do, plant churches, see. Uh, you know, we really believe that gospel work is done through the ministry of local churches. Disciples are made through the ministry of local church. The Great Commission is wrapped up in the mission of planting churches locally in, in areas. And we value having the network because, of, well, of a lot of the reasons of why we would say it's a gift to have several pastors at a current church, to have multiple, multiple pastors at one church. The accountability and the insight, the wisdom that's gained, the encouragement that you get. Uh, I think as if I'm just someone listening to this who is part of a church or uh, is, is looking to join a church or something, I would want to encourage that person Make sure that your church has good accountability structures in place, not only within your local church, but are you connected with something larger than just your own local body? Yes. Are you connected with other people, other, <clears throat> other entities, other things that you can look at and say, these are, these are larger structures that, are, that serve as guardrails to keep us and hold us in line for uh, make sure we're preaching and understanding Scripture rightly, Make sure we're, uh, we're shepherding and guiding our children in a way that's healthy and true. To make sure that as we transition from uh, the gospel from our generation to the next generation, which will happen, even if you're 20 years old, you've got to start thinking about how are you going to pass this on to the next generation. Yes. You need proper guardrails in place. So I think as a church member... Maybe one at Solar City, you may or may not know all the networks that you're related to, but I would encourage everybody to consider what uh, is your church related to. If you don't have any outside uh, denomination, network, uh, you know, association, if you have nothing that you're connected to, you're really isolating yourself, and you're running the risk of finding yourselves in an unhealthy territory, uh, especially when disasters or, or tragedy can strike. Pretty similar to what you were saying about the importance and the dangers of doing theology remote in seminary, where theology is best done in community. And this is very similar. You know, ministry in general, the Christian life we preach on a regular basis is best done in the context of the local church. But even on a grander scale, uh, church ministry is best done with a coalition of churches or a, or a network of churches. Mm-hmm. Um, I've often heard, you know, because I know some people will have questions of, well, what's the difference between a denomination and a network? Mm -hmm. And a framework that was really helpful for me that that I really think rings true is a denomination oftentimes serves as like guardrails Mm -hmm. around a church to say, hey, you know, continue in ministry, keep the faith, and let's stay out of these areas. Let's just keep going in in this forward direction. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I've appreciated specifically about Core 36, and you know, we're part of another one called Sojourn as well, both have done a really good job of not necessarily saying, don't go there, but let's go here. Mm-hmm. And more mm-hmm. positive in nature, mm-hmm. uh, giving us theological distinctives, mm-hmm. giving us uh, direction in ministry that, hey, this is where we need to be going. This is what we need to be pioneering mm-hmm. in our churches that are planted mm-hmm. and then in future things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Do you find that helpful as well? And would you have any comment towards that? Yeah, I think it's great. I think just like... 
with our discussion on leadership and the sort of the negative connotation that's come to be associated with abuses of leadership. I think you see the same thing with uh, some negative connotations with denominations or being connected with anybody outside of your church. And an unhealthy reaction to that as, well, we're cutting all ties with any association and all we care about is what we think. And it's just not wise to do that. Uh, it's, it's not wise to cut yourself off from other brothers and sisters around the world, uh, both now and historically. I mean, it's just not wise to isolate yourself in such a way that uh, you run the risk of making decisions that would have been clear if you would have had others' input. Hmm. So I just encourage, and what Solo City has done, I think has been so great, is to put proper uh, guardrails, guidelines in place to give good vision, good accountability, good... Uh, wisdom on how to make decisions and and what it means to be the local church in your area, but yet also work together with other local churches, either in your area or around the world, to see the gospel go forward. Uh, that's what the Lord will do through a local church. He'll give them a vision for their area, but Lord willing, He'll let local churches be a part of ministry that takes place on a much grander scale than you could have ever thought, which just will require you to be a part of other works. Let me give a personal testimony to the value of your church or Sola City being a part of a good church planning network denomination, what have you. Early on, before we launched as a church, I remember talking with you, Tyler, about uh, when we were going to launch, what that date was going to be. And here we were in mid-February or maybe the beginning of March, and I, I told you, hey, I think we're going to launch in April. And you lovingly cared for my soul yeah. and led me to realize this was not a good decision. Yeah. And uh, we pushed that off for another eight months before we launched as a church. And I can, I can attest to the fact now, mm. if I did not have that wisdom, I would be absolutely exhausted right yeah. now. Yeah. Because we were nowhere near ready. That's and I can look back on that and say, wow, an abundance of counselors protects me. It keeps yeah. me safe. That's right. And that's, if the network does nothing else... That was it was worth every uh, single conversation, investment, and assessment that that I've I've had with with Core Three Six. So, uh, thanks for that. Yeah. If anything, <laughs> well, the greatest pe- preacher in the history of Christian preaching, Charles Spurgeon, his life was changed by an unlearned and what he called quote stupid man. <laughs> and uh, and so, if that unlearned and stupid man can do anything to help Charles Spurgeon, then I, I'm Happy that uh, some of my efforts may have been able to help uh, mm. anybody else. But it, it really is what it takes. It takes wisdom. It takes a lot of people uh, having insight. And But being like you are and uh, being humble enough to ask, which it, it takes maturity. It's the hardest thing to do when you're becoming an adult, 20 and 30 years old, is to ask for help. Because mm. you think you know everything. And you think if you don't know everything, it's a weakness. Yes. But really the weakness is the pride that comes along with trying to prove yourself. Mm. Uh, it's, it's humble and wise to ask for help and then to listen and, and respond appropriately. You see that even in the Garden of Eden mm. where it wasn't good that man be alone. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. good that he pioneer and go about this Christian journey yeah. of sojourning by himself. But he's given us men, women, children, churches, 
elders, fathers, brothers to come alongside us and uh, lead us into all that God has for us. Hey, I, I want to end uh, our time here. This has been so helpful, yeah. and I think our church is really going to uh, enjoy this and find it instructive and encouraging, and even those who are outside of the church. But specifically speaking to uh, our region, our area, when you think about God's mission going forth, which I know you're zealous for, mm-hmm. when you think about God's mission going forth in Gainesville specifically, mm-hmm. What about our city in this particular cultural moment that we have really excites you? Mm. Uh, on a very personal level, I love this city. I love the people here. I was raised here. I came to know the Lord here. And uh, my heart is with the people here. And I could not stand aside and, uh, and watch if if this the people who were here and were so important to me were led uh, in a way that was not biblical or or led any other way and uh, I'm grateful that the Lord called me to be a, be able to be a pastor in this place and in this city what I see in Gainesville is uh, a unique opportunity that the resources that are available to us here uh, in a relatively small town where we still pretty much know a lot of people mm-hmm. and where every other person is related to someone else who also lives here. Wow. This is true. <laughs> uh, that we have an incredible opportunity of reaching the nations through the local church ministry in this city. That the resources that are available to us, the accessibility we have to larger uh, populations that are very near to us, but yet that we have such a low cost of living comparatively to the, to the rest of the large cities in the U.S., can leverage these resources we have to be a part of something much bigger than what we're doing here. That's good. There are a lot of cities in the U.S. that have a lot of resources also, but they don't have the availability of leveraging those outside of their own city, and Gainesville seems to have that. Uh, so I love Gainesville. I want to be here, and I love the people of this city. I want to see the gospel made known more and more in this city. But I just see an incredible uh, moment in time that this city could be a part of something on a great scale. Uh, that Not to bring us a lot of glory, but that would enable us to be a part of gospel work somewhere that we could have never imagined to be a part of. And we've been able to see that in, at Lakewood. That by God's grace, we've been a part of things that we never would have thought we could participate in globally, around the world. It's amazing. It's, it it's is. amazing. It's a gift of God. And I'm most excited about that in Gainesville, what we have available to us. Tyler, thanks so much, man. Thank you. Dear brother in the Lord. And uh, I'm excited for many more years and conversations and, and a partnership in the gospel as we see local churches healthy. We see uh, Jesus proclaimed uh, like Charles Spurgeon did. There you go. And uh, we see the gospel go forward with greater power than the last generation and uh, on into eternity. Amen. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Solo City Church podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and empowered to follow Jesus more than you ever have before. For more information about our church, please visit solocitychurch.com.